Well, thank you. Whether I do a good job tonight, tell Joe I did. All right. Our history goes way back, as he mentioned, but, and I've wondered at times because I knew his dad very well, know Joe very well. He served on our staff, and Dick recruited me out to Gresham, Oregon. Anyway, I wonder if we were related, but then I look at Joe. I have hair, he doesn't, so it's pretty clear uh, we're not. There's no DNA match there at all, but we do have a long history. And uh, when Joe called me, uh, we, I was actually involved in some conversations about him coming here, and I thought he's going to do a great job. He called me, and he has, by the way. I'm so proud of him. Uh, he called me and said that we're going to start a Saturday night service. I was like, ah, wow. I know how hard those are. I've done them. And uh, thank you for proving me wrong. I mean, wow, this is fantastic. This is a great group. Uh, I'm glad you're here, and I want you to know, though you don't know much about me, I feel like I know quite a bit about you, because Joe talks about you nonstop. It's like annoying every time I talk to him. I've never heard a young pastor so excited about his church. I mean that. Joe is constantly talking about what God is doing here. He is so excited uh, so I, I'm, I'm receiving the overflow of the blessing, as uh, he calls and shares with me. Uh, you may be wondering, as most people do, I do the same thing. I'm sizing someone up. Why should I listen to this guy? You know, I mean, what are his credentials? Well, Joe didn't talk anything about my ad- academic credentials, and I have a master's degree in messing up, and... Uh, <laughs> PhD in pain. And by the time I'm done tonight, if you judge me, I'm okay with that because I would have judged me myself a few years ago. So we all grow in grace and we learn some things, and I'm still growing, experiencing some things. A friend of mine, for his 70th birthday, said he was going skydiving and he wanted to know if for my 60th I wanted to go. And I've always said I did until it came time to do it. And so I decided I would. I think we have some pictures of that experience. This is what the earth looks like from 10,000 feet. It's a whole different perspective. And we're just getting ready to bail out of the plane. You can't see me. That's not me. That's the guy I'm tandem to. That is the plane from 10,000 feet. Back up just a second. Some people say, why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? You didn't see the airplane. I I felt safer in the parachute than I did the plane. But anyway, you're tumbling out of the plane, 10,000 feet. Uh, You want that perfect photo op, but this next one, I think, the next picture, that's me repenting of every sin I have ever committed (laughs) in my entire life. I mean, there is a blur, an absolute blur. Next one, he's having a ball. This is, uh, again, not the perfect photo op. I think this is about the time I remembered that I owed Joe money, but I might die before I hit the ground. I don't know. The next one, uh, again, <laughs> not your best moment, you know? I mean, this is, uh, this is not my most photogenic opportunity. Any, next one, uh, this is after he, the, the chute opens, and we hit with such force you're going to like 100 and, I don't know, 15 miles an hour down to about 20 miles an hour. And he groaned. He, it hurt him. 
this is me when I landed. My wife said it looked like you needed to call 911. So <laughs> it was a complete new perspective for me. I'm telling you, if you've never done it, don't. But uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it gave me a new experience, a new perspective on life. And seeing the world from 10,000 feet coming at you really fast. Again, I got a new perspective, and that's important. There are three kinds of people in the world. There are people who are just coming out of one of the worst trials of their life. There are, I mean, you could raise your hand on that if you want. There are people who are right in the middle of one, and there are people who are getting ready to go into one. Yeah, <laughs> you'd almost be ready right one of the other two, right? And just by maybe show of hands, how many of you fit in one of the categories of you're either in the middle of or just came out of something at work? You can, you know, stressful thing at work. Okay, that's easy to be honest about. Maybe health, a health issue, health scare, waiting at health tests. Those are, it's terrible. Maybe something with your kids. If you've ever had kids in the middle of, uh, you know, just came out of, you understand that. This is going to be harder. I know hands are going to go up less. Financial issues. You don't have to raise your hand on that one. But how about marriage issues? No, don't raise your hand because that's just going to make more marriage issues, okay? Addictions, depression, fear, worry, stress, loneliness. I've gone through all of those things. In fact, recently, uh, we went through a church split. Yay! <laughs> I, because of stress, was in the hospital a couple of times. Never been in the hospital before. I think it was stress-related. I had a, a man in our church who took his life in the most terrible way. won't go into detail. We recently had to let a staff member go, and people are currently leaving the church because of it. And I may be going to federal prison. Because I got a phone call from the Kimberly City Police Department, and I handed these realistic-looking bills out in our church service. I got them because they are realistic-looking, and it seems like one of the young men in our youth group who happens to be the son of an elder tried to use it accidentally at the local supermarket because he was there for a youth fundraiser. And I got a phone call from the local Kimberly City Police saying, do you know anything about these counterfeit bills. I said, I don't know anything about counterfeit bills, but I ordered some off of Amazon that looked very realistic. He said, sir, I'm going to have to contact the Secret Service about these. You're in trouble. Like, serious, no, I, I don't think it's serious trouble, but I'm going to leave this on Joe's desk just in case. <laughs> don't mention anything. It really looks realistic. I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's no camera close-up, but they're very realistic. I'll just start a prison ministry, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> What's the point of all this? We all have things that happen in our life. Amen? Every single one of us. And when we go through things, oftentimes I forget something that I learned. Have you ever done that? I forget something that I knew. And that one I forget that I one time knew is that 
There's something bigger going on. There's something bigger going on. And I'm just going to look at, we're going to look at one passage tonight, and it's one of my favorite. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's so good, I think you ought to read it with me. Would you do that? Come on, you can read it off the screens if that makes it easier. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You're coming in tonight, you got a puzzle piece, did you? Everybody get a puzzle piece? For those of you who are <clears throat> perfectionists and like order and so forth, it's going to drive you insane because that's all you get. You take it with you, it's a reminder that sometimes this is all you get. It would take a miracle to put this puzzle together, I'm telling you, because we're handing them out in all the services this weekend. Unless we had a big party and tried really hard, it would take a miracle to put this together. You just got one piece of the puzzle. But the reality is, and for any of us, we only see one tiny piece of the puzzle. You see, God is the only one who can see the big picture. He is painting on a he is painting a masterpiece as big as the universe, but you and I, this little speck, only get to see one little tiny piece of the puzzle at a time. Amen. Why? Because he's God and you're not. See, he lets you see one piece, but the Bible says, and we know. Now, did you forget that? And we know. How do we know that God is painting a masterpiece with our puzzle piece? Well, we know because history shows us. Our own life reveals it. But we know that God is working on something bigger. There's something bigger going on. You see, it is not just one of the stories in the Bible. It is, I believe, the story of the Bible. Hang with me for just a moment. Let's go through Bible history. Think about Abraham. Abraham, back when he's holding that knife above his one and only son, Isaac, he's holding that knife. He just sees this little puzzle. If he were to look at that knife, he couldn't see the nation. He couldn't see the nation that God was building. He couldn't see there was something bigger going on. Think about Joseph. If Joseph got focused on the chains, if all he could see was that little small piece of the puzzle, he couldn't fast forward and see the cheers and how his entire nation would be saved because he was led in chains to Egypt. And you remember what he said to his brothers? What you intended for evil, God had a plan. There's something bigger going on. Think about all through Bible history. Think about Moses' mother. If she had just focused on that little basket that she's putting Moses in, she would have missed the bigger picture that God was building. He was developing a bold leader to lead his people out of bondage. Think about Elijah under that broom tree. If he'd just been focused, he was depressed. If he'd been focused on that one little piece of the puzzle, he would miss, he would miss the fact that God was going to broaden his influence and there would be another following named Elisha and that someday Elijah, who's depressed at that point, would be carried away in a, in a, in a, in a uh, chariot of fire. See, 
folks, there's always something bigger going on. Remember Job? If he'd just been focused on those boils, he would have missed the bigger picture. The story of Job is the end of it, is the latter part, the blessings, is the latter part of Job's life was better than the first. And think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had been focused on the coach laid at Stephen's at his feet while they stoned Stephen. He would have missed that he was going to become an apostle to the Gentiles. You see, there's something bigger going on. In fact, say that with me. Come on. I want it to sink into your heart. There's something bigger going on. And we know it. How do we know it? The Bible says so. And we have experienced it. There's something bigger going on. That in all things... Think about that. These are two words that don't belong together. They're sort of an oxymoron. All things, they're like opposite poles of a magnet. These two words together, for me at times, have stretched me. They have confused me. They have angered me. All things, they have challenged me. And if I have the faith, at times, they've even comforted me. You see, the Greek word, not a linguistics expert or anything, but the Greek word for this means all things. Funny, isn't it? How the Greek for all things is all things. Now, what do I mean by that? And we know that in all things... How about your marriage problems? Yep. How about cancer? Yes. Suicide? Yeah. What about addiction, war, even sin? Yes. Let me tell you a story of a friend of mine. His son was killed by a school bus when he was two years old. His wife was inside talking on the phone, and she'd been smoking pot that day. So she wasn't paying attention to the little two-year-old who wandered in front of a school bus. Kyle turned away from God. He was bitter. He was angry. And when I met Kyle, his story was he had gotten so in-depth into, into drugs that he was down in a shag carpet at one point trying to find enough cocaine to get high. And then he came to our church, and he found Jesus. And he was one of the purest-hearted guys I know. And then about a year after I met Kyle, his 17-year-old son was killed in a car wreck. And I was praying with Kyle and having coffee with Kyle one day. Kyle said, with tears running down his cheeks, he said, Why me? Why me? And I said, Kyle, I don't know. I don't understand these things. Why would God take two kids? I'm thinking, why? I don't know. I'm just hurting with him. I said, Kyle, I don't know. He said, why would God love me so much? He sent his son to die on the cross for me. I was blown away. Here's a man who had been a Christian for two or three years, and he had more faith than people who have sat in church for 20, 30, 40 years and leave because they don't like the music. 
Listen. We know that in all things, Kyle said, I know there's something bigger going on. I trust God. I don't know what it is. But I trust him. And I saw him a year ago, and he is light years ahead in his faith. All things, God works for the good. That's active. God is working. He's not sleeping. He's not resting. He hasn't forgotten you. God is working for the good. I've said this and I was wrong. I thought there was not a word in the Greek or the Hebrew for coincidence. I was wrong. I did a little digging. There's actually one time the Bible uses a word that is translated coincidence. It's in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It says, by coincidence, a certain priest. That word is actually two words, two Greek words put together. That means together with and supreme in authority. Get this. The only time the Bible uses the word coincidence, it actually means what occurs together by God's supreme authority. So there really isn't such a thing as what we call a coincidence. I would call things a God incidence. You seen a few of those in your life? Let me tell you about a few of mine. I raised kids, and I said, my kids will never do that. If you don't believe in the doctrine of free will, it's because you haven't raised teenagers yet. My oldest son will tell you, Dad, I think I taught you a little bit about grace. He has. And I can see all through those years, those difficult, turbulent teenage years, God was shaping me. God was working for the good in me. I'm not nearly as judgmental or self-righteous as I used to be. I served a church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. We went through a reduction in force at that church. I was the only one reduced. That's the nice way of saying I was terminated. Uh, I was fired in front of about 1,000 people. And I will admit to you I was bitter. I wallowed in self-pity and stubborn pride for a while, and God had to root some of that out of my heart. In fact, it took months. Until finally I could thank him for what I went through, and I think that's a real turning point. When you finally say, God, you're working for the good, you know, then you turn a corner. So I turned a corner, and I was painting a barn for a lady, and I found a church called, and we connected, and it was a church in the Washington, D.C. area. It was a large church. In fact, when I went there, a friend from Oklahoma came and visited me. He said, you know, you didn't get fired. You got a promotion. It was probably twice the size of the church in Oklahoma. I was doing chapel for the Redskins and spoke to NFL teams. I'll impress you if I keep talking long enough. I did conferences at the Capitol. I was traveling with missions around the world. I had it made. Church of about 3,000. I was the man, you know. I was the man. But things were very broken. The pressure of a big church. I found out I had cancer. I went through a depression. I had a very broken marriage. And I remember sitting on my front porch thinking, you know, it would be nice someday 
to save up enough money to come back to the Midwest, a quiet little town like Branson, Missouri maybe, and settle down. God answered that prayer in a different way than I imagined. My marriage ended. It wasn't my wish. It wasn't my desire. But I came here about 2011, 2012. I sat right back there. I went to eat with Ron and Pam Carter and Jerry and Louise Lamb, and I was a mess. Couldn't contain my emotions through that. I was living with my parents, which is a little awkward when you're 55 years old. I was living with my parents and was working as a substitute teacher. If you want to know what Hades is like, try kindergarten for three days in a row. <laughs> I was curled up in a fetal I love kids, but 20, 30 at a time, I was curled up in a fetal position by the time I was open on one of their little mats sucking my thumb. But anyway... <laughs> I survived that, and I went to a retreat there around Branson, a pastor's retreat center, and um, I just got on my knees all week. I fasted and prayed, and I said, at the end of that, God, show me what you want me to do with the rest of my life. And I was convinced I would never, never preach again. I would never pastor again. And all I said was, thy will be done. Thy will be done. All week, the only prayer I could come up with, thy will be done. I don't care what you do with me. I gave you the rest of my life. And the next week, a pretty lady came and tapped me on the shoulder. who had been a widow. Is, was a widow. And long story short, we were married a couple of years later. And I wound up where does this is pastoring a church that's about four miles where that little retreat center was that I was on my knees. Thy will be done. And I live about two miles away from that. There's something bigger going on. When I met Pam, I told her I haven't always lived with my parents and driven an old car and been broke and worked as a kindergarten substitute teacher and my wife is the sweetest woman I've ever known, but she did say, well, I think God is humbling you. I'm like, I don't need to be humbled. I mean, I'm, the, I'm a pretty humble guy, you know, and I needed to be humbled. And there was something bigger going on. She said, you need to take baby steps and you have to walk this out. And all I was focused on was this little piece of the puzzle. I couldn't see the whole thing yet. But I wanted to. I wanted God to solve it and take all the pain away. But I realized later that I didn't have it all together, you know. And what I really needed was Christ to be formed in me. The last part of that, those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That first part's up to me. Love him be called according to his purpose. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Let that soak in for a minute. It's really up to us. I mean, you can say, well, maybe I'm not called. Oh, yes, you are. 
God has called you, how you respond to it, how you respond to cancer and addiction and divorce and financial problems, losing your job or depression. You see people go both ways. You can bow your knees or bow your back. You will either run to God or you run away. You're going to draw near to him or you're going to be dragged away. He didn't cause your pain, but he wants to use it. And all those who love him and have been called according to his purpose ultimately figure that out. They wrestle it out. They walk it out. They let God teach them the lessons he wants them to learn. We're all still in school, folks. Don't waste the pain. When I was a kid, one of my favorite things to watch, and you will judge me when I finish telling you this, I'm sure, and a pita, peta, whatever that is, was called, I would probably be arrested for that. But I loved watching my mom butcher chickens. <laughs> I, would, I would leave whatever, I was, whatever cartoon was on on Saturday morning. Because if you haven't seen this, you ain't seen nothing. <laughs> you cut the head of a chicken off. Uh, my mom used to say to me when I was a kid, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off. I didn't know that was a real thing. You, you, you city people don't know this. You can cut, they cut the head. Mom would step on the chicken's head. You pull, she pulled her leg, pulled the head off, and the chicken would run in the yard. I'm not making this up. And the head would sit there and blink. You know what I'm saying? If you don't, chickens don't come wrapped in cellophane, folks. I mean, what is my point? Listen, there's something bigger going on. There's something bigger going on at the cross. At the cross of Christ, Jesus said, I am cutting off the head of the enemy. And you look around today and you go, it seems like he's winning. No, he's not. He's vicious, he's desperate because his head was cut off at Calvary. He knows his time is limited. He knows it's short and he's going as aggressively as he can because he's only got a few days left. But you can't give him the victory. Don't give him any power. Don't give him any energy. God will turn your tests into your testimony. Your mess becomes his message. Your setbacks become setups. At the cross, Jesus paid it all. And at the empty tomb says, you are no longer captive to that. You see, here it is, folks. There's the big picture. Y'all always see it's this one. But here's the big picture. John 3, 16. You know it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me tell you something surprising. That same word, whoever, is the same root for all things. Listen to this. God uses all things to reach every one. 